This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by the new movie Logan Lucky. Critics are raving. It's a high-spirited, low-down blast. With an all-star cast, including Channing Tatum, Adam Driver, Seth MacFarlane, Riley Keogh, Katie Holmes, Catherine Waterston, Sebastian Stan, with Hilary Swank, and introducing Daniel Craig as Joe Bang. Deadline says it's fun from start to finish, and Vanny Fair proclaims it's the perfect late-night summer cocktail. I mean, it's a Soderbergh movie, people. He's back from retirement. Logan Lucky, directed by Steven Soderbergh, written by Rebecca Blunt, in theaters August 18th. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic, joined as always by our editor at large, Ann Thompson. And Ann, there's uh, some interesting awards news we can start the week off talking about because the Academy voted on a new president. And when we were talking about it before, it kind of seemed like there were some really obvious contenders. Of course, if we learned anything from the presidential election, obvious contenders aren't really a thing anymore. And so while Laura Dern may have at some point been a front runner for the president of the Academy, she didn't even really put herself into the race. Well, and what that, happened was that they nominated her. I mean, there's a board of 54 people, and she's one of the three actors, and she had been a candidate who uh, the... Uh, CEO of the Academy, Don Hudson, was pushing. That was her pick. And whether uh, Laura talked to her about it ahead of time or not, uh, but when they nominated her, she said, I'm not going to do it. And I think it may have been something that she, uh, a, a tough decision to make because she's actually doing incredibly well. She's got well, you know, I, Twin I was Peaks and Emmy nomination for it's kind you know, of fascinating Good Little Lies. Because, uh, no, but it's, it is fascinating because Laura Dern, you know, the, the Academy universe is kind of insular, and whereas a lot of people know the Oscars, if you're not kind of an insidery type, you wouldn't necessarily know who the Academy president is or what the internal politics are, but there were people who were hearing about Laura Dern and people who know and love Laura Dern as an actress, and I was telling somebody about this after, you know, she, did, she had withdrawn herself, and, and I was met with skepticism, you know, questions like, did she really withdraw herself? Are you sure she wasn't like pressured out of it or something no, to that? No, 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 no. I think she would have been a very strong candidate. We don't know who would have voted for her, but the, my understanding from my reporting is that she had a lot of of support, and I can certainly say that she did. You know, she uh, any any actor like if you go to the Academy lunch, you know, nominees lunch, and you see all the people walking up to the front for the big class photo. She was there this year. She was the one, you know, doing the uh, calling out the names and handing out the certificates and everything. And, and you know, any actor who goes up is going to get more applause than someone who isn't an actor. I mean, actors are by nature, they're celebrities. They are popular for a reason. Um, yeah. Anyway, it turned out that a stealth candidate ended up winning, and that was John Bailey, the cinematographer of movies like The Big Chill, who's never been nominated for an Oscar, absolutely respected, been on the board for 14 years, 74, older white guy, very yeah, sophisticated. Yeah, the, the optics kind of suck. I mean, yeah. just to, 
I mean, he sound, he's, his credits no, are great. No, he's got a kind of blog, and he's super sophisticated, and he, he always but it's, is no, on but you foreign have to branch. You have to acknowledge that it, it, lo it looks it bad to come from the first African-American yeah. person to run I the know. academy. So that he's going to continue with the same agenda. I mean, it's not going to change. Um, that board is totally behind the Don Hudson, Cheryl Boone Isaacs agenda, which is the uh, adding uh, more uh, diversity to their membership body. And it's not a, people wanted to say, oh, this is a conservative play. Uh, uh, you know, he he basically represents the crafts. He's a he's a he's, he represents that that side. If you if you if you like the the actors are the dominant branch and then you have uh, directors and writers and all that. But you have this huge group of crafts, you know, all the people. Well, what who was Sharon Isaacs is a publicist. She was so a publicist. I mean, that, I mean, to go from. PR to crafts, that's a, a big shift if, in fact, those sympathies come into play in the way that they do this. Well, they're going to be definitely job. supporting that. Like, for example, suppose suppose there was a, uh, I mean, there are 17 branches of the academy, three people for each, each branch, and then there are these three members at large. So it would be interesting to see if this president would be, you know, responsible for, you know, suggesting some some more members at large. The new members at large are, are on the board. The, the the people who are on the board are are uh, are all diverse. You know, that's why they were added. You know, to bring some more uh, diversity to the actual board. And there are more women on the board than there ever used to be. Kimberly Pierce went to her that's first pretty, board meeting this time. That's pretty great. I mean, I have to imagine being in the room for these things, and oh, you know, I'd we have listeners who have experienced. It's just it sounds like such a colorful assortment, and you, you know, I mean, you, when you go to these kinds of meetings where you have creative people in a room, it's really hard to tell, you know, how how you bring order to a conversation. Well, I mean, but, Steven Spielberg, but, Kathleen Kennedy, um, you know, I mean, these people, Tom. Tom Hanks, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, you know, I mean, it's such a crazy group. Uh, How do you talk over them? I know, Hanks. exactly, representing all the different branches of the Academy. I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing that's sort of cool about it. And that's why the Academy Awards, I would argue, remain a, a very specific, special thing. They really are voted on by the people who make movies. Well, it is valuable to have an organized almost like ritualistic approach to talking through the movie industry and the way it's celebrated, even if, you know, somehow on some other outside level, the rest of the world perceives it as just this flashy event with a bunch of famous people. Obviously, people who have worked hard to get on into the inside have a right to treat it as something much more serious. And so the hope is that that's the way that it, the institution continues to operate. I do think it's interesting how the head of the academy is an unpaid job, and yet they pay somebody else, Don Hudson, this you know kind of year-round salary to really run it. So on some level, the president, if if he or she wanted to, could just run meetings and kind of be supportive, but stay at the sidelines and be a figurehead. They, right? I mean, Don Hudson got paid more. It has become a sure. much more active full-time job in recent it, years. I mean, if you go back and you look at Sid Gannis or Tom Sherrick, uh, these guys who who did it before uh, Cheryl Boone Isaacs, um, they they put in a, a lot of time on it. Um, it's people who actually have the time who who do that. And I I, I would argue that John Bailey, uh, while he will have a lot of power, um, is and he represents the board. That's the point. You know, he is a member of that board. And Don Hudson was renewed by those people, and it was a struggle to get her renewed. 
And, you know, because of this controversial $400 million uh, museum that's being built at the LA County Museum with a lot of fundraising still to do and a lot of delays, uh, you know, it won't even come until like 2019 so or 2020. <laughs> so we're really, um, there's, and, then, and also there's a lot of changes going on in the industry. I mean, you've got Disney uh, deciding that they're going to do their own version of Netflix and put ESPN up on their own. And, and you know, there's a lot of shifting and, and movement in, in the in the space. And, I'm, and, you know, ABC's putting a lot of pressure on the Academy to get better ratings for the Oscars. And, but see, and all see that stuff, happens. I mean, it's, the, the thing that's fascinating to me about that is, like, all those kinds of questions. If you have a background in publicity or you've worked as an executive, you know, there's an executive branch, I can see how being the head of something like the Academy, you could dive into that. If you're a craftsperson, if you're an actor, I mean, these are questions that are, sort of outside of the, the immediate skill set, right? I mean, it's... How, it isn't how does, like they're going to solve the industry. The question is, how does the Academy represent the industry? Um, and I think there are all these issues like, I wonder what John Bailey thinks, for example, uh, and hopefully I will get to meet him one day and ask him this question myself. But I mean, you know, the old question of, of Andy Serkis, you know, from War from the Planet of the Apes, which they're doing a full-on campaign for. As, or you know, for that matter, the they'll put the question of the, about the digital um, you know, actors. How do you do well, yeah. that? You know, but I mean, the gets even more fine-tuned than that. I mean, we've talked about you know, what, where where do you put a trans actor, for example? There, there's so many different kinds of ways that you could really get into the nitty-gritty of the way that the Academy honors things. I mean, the whole thing with the OJ doc last year. And the well, new, we're back in the to square uh, one with 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 the. Uh, Grateful Dead doc qualifying, even though it's going to be shown on Amazon, you know, split up into episodes, the fact that it showed at Sundance and went into theaters as a four-hour movie qualifies it for the Oscars. So OJ would have qualified again. <laughs> Small ironies. <laughs> I'm sure that Ezra Edelman is so sick of hearing all these well, things. Well, he's up still for an Emmy. He could, still, he could win an Emmy as well. I mean, the whole thing yeah. is all, you know, everybody's trying to have it both ways. It's true, it's true. Well, those people have their work cut out for them in the next few weeks. Fortunately, we've gotten to that point where we're sort of in that kind of easygoing period before the fall. Speak Most of the big yourself. I have so, Emmys versus Oscars no. colliding in no, all no, of their glory. But let's be clear, when, when the Telluride Toronto mayhem arrives... Then I go all movies It's, all it's, the it's time. much crazier. And, and you're on the, on the road, you're high in the mountains, you're up in Canada. I'm not complaining. I look break. forward to it. It's, it's a rush, though. It's a rush, and in the middle of all that, Twin Peaks is going to have its big finale. So I know we live in that weird... Are you still watching Twin Peaks, Eric? Of, of, I love Twin Peaks. I love really? Twin Peaks. You gotta, you gotta give, you gotta really dig I into. I gave this. it two episodes and I bailed. Oh, you missed best. some great stuff. <laughs> no, I'm watching. I'm watching Game of Thrones. I'm still happy. The Keepers, all of the way things. I describe Twin Peaks is, I mean, it's it's not. You can't have a relationship to relationship to it. It's like episodic television. Be satisfied. It's like David Lynch letting off his pent up movie frustration. It's not, it's not satisfying as TV. It's satisfying in a way that's much closer to watching a bunch of little David Lynch movies, and you just never know where it's going to go. I had no that's problem with saying. the two episodes that I saw, but they didn't compel me to keep well, watching. That's what I'm and it's I had other things I had to watch first it's for un, It's an uncompromised, uh, uncompromised David Lynch project. It's not designed 
to do that, and that's that's why. And so I'm sure there has been a drop off in that respect. And I, and I also feel like the people. But who I are watched the first were, episode. I mean, well, and obviously, but I, the first I also, series. People watch it. I was obsessed with it. Payoff, but people watch it hoping for payoff, and I think the payoff is not going to be what they think it is, which is certain elements of the plot, and more just waiting for something amazing to happen that's completely unpredictable. And that's what I really love is just being in that state. You know, as as exciting as a big Game of Thrones battle can be, I, I feel like I've been there in some way before. And I, I go to the movies to be surprised by things. And it's, the same, it's the same situation with this. So, yeah, that's that's my little Twin Peaks aside. And I think the divide is, is kind of fascinating. But, yeah, we'll be at Telluride when that show finishes so we can kind of bounce between two worlds at once. You know, but outside of that, I would say, I mean, what do we have left to talk about before the fall comes in from a film perspective? Well, what's going on on the Oscar front is that there are a number of new movies that are being added to the uh, uh, roster. And we knew, you know, we knew that these movies didn't have buyers, but now the buyers have, have come up. So we now have Sony Pictures Classics picking up this big, Annette Benning movie where she actually plays um, Gloria Graham late in her career who has an affair with a younger woman, uh, man. It sounds a lot, it sounds like who's, who's played by the guy who played Billy Elliot, um, the British actor. What's his right. name? Give me his name. The guy who played Billy Elliot. Come on in, you can get, you can get yeah. it there. Jamie Bell. So <laughs> Jamie Bell plays the guy. And she is, uh, of course, was robbed last year, uh, in my opinion, uh, 20, 20th century women. And, and again, we have a, a, uh, a, a situation where there are more women than men this year, it looks like, at least at this stage. Not the worst problem to have. More <laughs> Best Actress candidates, you know, from Meryl Streep and the, you know, playing Katherine Graham and Kate Winslet in two different movies, one of them by Woody Allen, you know. Jennifer Lawrence, which, uh, maybe. Maybe from Rother, which I cannot wait to see because it looks so incredibly weird. And, uh, you know, and, and on and on. I mean, and, and then Dion Kruger is entering the race as Magnolia acquires uh, In the Fade. Um, so, uh, you know, this, the, the oh, by the way, the name of the Annette Benning movie is um, one of those names that is, it does not trip off the, the tongue. What is it? Only Stars Die in, in Liverpool? What is it called? Only Lovers Die in Liverpool. That's a, the, a, the new film from Paul McGuigan, who uh, did Lucky Number Eleven a couple years ago. He's done a bunch of TV. I was sort of surprised that he would have a movie. It's that called would be Film Stars a- Don't Die in Liverpool. Oh, Film Stars, Film Stars. Film Stars Don't, and it is Paul McGuigan, and, uh, and it, it's from a memoir, so it's, a, it's very similar, uh, I suspect, to uh, that My Week with Marilyn movie. It's sort of the same idea. Yeah, it's not the kind of thing I'm super excited about, but I, there, there's certainly potential there. I've, I've enjoyed things that he's made in the past. And, you know, coming off of 20th Century Woman last year, it feels like Annette Benning is, is well positioned to... Well, she's been nominated re-enter. four times, so, yeah. it's, so, it's, so it's like, you know, let's, let's, give, her, let's give her a shot. But um, uh, anyway, that's, that's And that's a going Sony on. classic thing. Did you, you know, see In the Fade? Like, I didn't, because that was an interesting one. It was at the that, end. The, 
It was right at the end of Cannes. It was Fadi Akin, who wasn't somebody that I think a lot of us were necessarily I excited. Like I like him. Sort of I actually I don't do know. Like I, mean, he's, I think he's hit or miss, but it, but it wasn't like the buzz was bad. It was just late in the festival, and it sounded like a very straightforward kind of story in a way. But she won Best Actress at Cannes over everybody thought Nicole Kidman was going to get it, and then she, Nicole Kidman got, got some special, special prize, right. prize. So that, that was the first indication, okay, maybe there's something here that these people saw. I don't know when Magnolia actually locked down this film, but I thought it was notable that they did so. Kind of, they announced it around now. Sort of In to, time to for the festivals. So that exactly. basically when it goes to the festivals and it, it looks like it's playing Toronto, um, you know, it'll have it again, and, and you know, again, film stars don't die in Liverpool. They will have a distributor in place and some marketing and and stuff around them, and they don't have to worry about selling it there. Yeah, so that'll be interesting to see how that one develops, and, and hopefully, we get a chance to catch up on it as as we see all of this new stuff. And one movie that I I, I would assume, I and mean, you can kind of correct me if I'm wrong, we can kind of take off the table from the award season perspective for the most part, is Glass Castle. Oh, which well, is they opened it in August. I mean, they took yeah. it off the table. But they were right. If, if you see the movie, you realize that it's effective in a certain way. It is a tearjerker. It's based on the memoir that many people read all over the world by Jeanette Walls about her sort of hard scrabble Appalachia childhood. And she was a gossip columnist in New York. And she's played by Brie Larson, who starred in Daniel, Destin Daniel Cretton's movie, the breakout movie Short Term 12, which I loved and many That's people a great loved. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our, our uh, boss edit, uh, and editor-in-chief, Dana Harris, was on the jury at South by Southwest this year. And I remember it was just such a no-brainer that that movie was going to win the grand jury prize. You know, but it was an interesting time because it was like, this was a movie that on paper didn't necessarily sound like it was going to be such a winning experience, but it was very subtly achieved, you know, this really delicate emotional balance, and Brie Larson was such a breakout. You know, you watch it and you were like, wow, she's going to be a star. And Cretton has oh. a certain kind of humanism, and he's got an incredible gift with actors, he's, and, and these skills are hard to come by, but right. I also think that it's very tricky to take a, a an independent sensibility and, you know, that kind of of authenticity and grittiness and the ability to tune into real emotions and translate that in a dramatic um, vehicle that is intended to play wide. And that's what this Lionsgate movie was always intended to be. Gil Netter, the producer, made Life of Pi. He made The Blind Side. And he has an, a gift for finding those stories, the Michael Lewis book that Sandra Bullock won an Oscar for. Um, but this, in this case, they didn't find the right uh, magical moment here. It didn't. It didn't yeah, happen. It, it's unfortunate because, I mean, well, there's a few things that are unfortunate. One is that this movie came out a year after Captain Fantastic, which and is even not though, this. That movie was so much better than this. And, and, but, but I think it's notable is that Glasscast is actually based on someone's memoir, but they both have to do with somebody kind of raising this family in a kind of quasi-anarchistic fashion outside of civilization and the mixed results that come out of that. This one is just so much more straightforward. And, you know, the flashback element, you know, that Brie is playing this older woman trying to get keep her life in this professional way, but she has to contend with the fact that she has this weird past with her alcoholic father and still dragging around his family to all these decrepit places. And it just doesn't have any real surprises. It's very melodramatic. 
I didn't dislike it. I just kind of felt no, like it's, it's actually it's not a, a bad movie. It's 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 a it's a it's a it, and it works. It actually, I cried and and Brie Larson's uh, very very good. But I have to say that the fact that I, I think that the cutting back and forth structure and having the need to have a movie star, you know, in in that role and have give her enough time. To, to be on screen to make people want to go see her is the problem with the movie. And if they had done it a, a, a different way without needing to worry about that, um, I think it might have worked better. Well, I didn't cry, and I don't often cry. But if I had cried, I would be arguing much more fervently for this movie because I feel like it just doesn't it – ne it never got to that point where I was really, really sold on the emotions at the center of it. I wanted something more. I do think it's because it's not – that bad, and I feel, I, I'm 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 glad to see that it's it works on the level that it does, and that it worked for you on on a certain level too. Because I feel like Destin Dan, Destin Daniel Cretton should be okay. You know, I, I'm still looking forward to seeing what he does next. It doesn't hurt anybody involved. I mean, look, I'd love to see Naomi Watts take on some better film roles. She, she's really she's good on Twin Peaks. She's had a bad year. She but, or a couple yeah. of years. She keeps getting a, the wrong the wrong parts somehow. Yeah, she's such a good actress. So unfortunate, but she, but she, you know, and I will do. say, if you watch more of Twin Peaks, she's killing it. <laughs> I'm it's glad a, to hear it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> now, the other movie that's coming out that's on Netflix right now that we haven't talked about yet is this movie Icarus, which showed at Sundance and became something of a hit and sold for five million dollars to Netflix. And it's Crazy such an enough. interesting story. This guy Brian Fogel, this guy who started out as a stand-up comic and somehow uh, made this uh, jutopia thing that was on, you know, at the, at the, in, in local LA theater, and then it went to Broadway, and then he took it around the country, and he's It's funny because you don't, you don't see any element of comedy in no, this new movie. No, in person, he's actually very entertaining, but, but, he, but he, he does have that sort of actor's, you know, uh, I don't know how to, well. Seriously, the seriousness. Of, there's a movie, uh, so the yeah. movie is, an, this is a thing he came up with where he was gonna dope himself. He's a, he's a very committed amateur uh, bicycle racer. But I mean, I'm almost, you know, he, he can do the long haul marathon right. high in the and mountains. Skin tight outfits all and all that stuff. stuff. Right. So we get lots of shots of him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Glamour shots. Sh shooting himself in the butt with, with steroids. And, and he uses the, he, he, somebody gave him a connection to this Russian guy who was involved in the steroid uh, anti-doping pro process, supposedly, in Russia and, you know, testing for, for drugs. And we all know that the Russians are, are pretty uh, uh, crazy about, about, about this stuff and, and duplicitous. And so he turns out to know a lot about hiding, <laughs> hiding I mean the, your doping. Uh, and, yeah, and then it just becomes another kind of movie. What's interesting about it is that, you know, all of this stuff would be, I would have questioned, you know, the validity of how much we were watching if it didn't have this element of, behind the scenes of a big uh, story that did come out much in the same way that Citizen Four did because these guys take the story of the doping conspiracy in Russia to the New York Times. The New York Times ran a big story about it and that kind of gives the film an internal validity that, uh, that I think makes it more involving. It's, it's, it's a little messy in parts. I do like that shift. Well, you should know that it's been I, I edited. Seen, 
Yeah, I have not seen the it, and so it's not it's not messy anymore. That you can't argue that it's messy. If anything, that's, that's, you can argue it, that it's too glossy. He's got all these graphics, and he's got the soundtrack, and the you know he's pushed it too. He almost worked on it too much in a way. Well, it's interesting because I, I mean the story is just so compelling. I'm sure it's a great talking point, and I know that. There was an event in New York that I went to for it, a kind of fancy dinner with a bunch of Documentary Academy members, and they seemed to be, you know, reasonably impressed with at least the way the film had captured this drama. But you know, the, it is it is an issue on some level that even if the way that he starts in one place and ends in someplace else is interesting on paper, it. It's like the amount of time in that movie, from what I, I've been hearing about this cut, even. Well, the they, cut of time it, they still, he still, that's the thing. He is an actor, right? I mean, right. what he probably should have done was take finish. himself out of it to a good degree and focus on the story at hand. And yeah, he just that's, couldn't that's bring himself to do it. But he cut it back right. from half the movie to 45 minutes of the movie. That That's such a trope now, too, and something that's talked about is documentarians making them part of the film and the way that Icarus was initially pitched to me is that it starts as Super Size Me and it ends like Citizen Four. You know, it'll be interesting to see how uh, 15 years down the road Morgan Spurlock revisits Super Size Me with Super Size Me 2 at TIFF and does he still, can he still make a movie work with him in front of the camera? I mean, we're so used to that now. Yeah, Michael he was more, he and Michael Moore were pioneers at the beginning and in fact they were criticized as though it somehow wasn't good documentary filmmaking well those rules have completely turned around at right. this point right so what was so this what thing else? that i saw you were at the museum of modern art with a bunch of dressed up film critics if i'm not mistaken. <laughs> you make it sound so exotic <laughs> i mean there's not much to report but we had a nice little uh i'm the the chairman of the new york film critic circle this year and we decided that it would be nice to host a uh mixer at, the, at moma in a really nice new space that they have that next time you're in New York and you should really check out and, and other people who are in New York, I highly recommend dropping by and just looking at it if you happen to be going to the museum or whatever because it's just for film stuff. So before it was kind of during new directors, new films, for example, if you went to MoMA, you kind of just like had to walk in and go into the theater. There wasn't a place to hang out. You couldn't do interviews there or anything like that. They now have this really nice kind of Marvel plated area uh, on the on the floor on the first floor of the museum that's also available for events and they were kind enough to provide a space when I brought it up because to me what's interesting about the New York Film Critics Circle is that everybody talks about this dinner we do which by the way this year will be on January 3rd 2018 um, at the top of the year it's the first awards thing it's a big gathering of critics and and we do play a role in that conversation and I'm I'm very proud of that but I also feel like this is an institution it's been around since 1935 it's the oldest of its kind in the country that represents on some level the state of the profession it's not easy to get into it we all have different kinds of influence that we play and I think on some level it should also reflect the way that criticism is surviving in the 21st century. So to me, there's something more valuable than just the award season dialogue associated with this thing. And yet, in the years that I've been involved, we haven't really done much outside of just gathering to vote at the end of the year. So I thought it would be good before the craziness of the fall for people to get together. And what was nice about it was, sure, a lot of critics came out, there was an open bar and all that good stuff, you know what that does. But we also had some really interesting industry presence, some people from studios um, who I think 
just wanted to mingle with us, knowing that they would have some stuff in the fall, but also people from local institutions like BAM. And it was just nice to see that fusion of faces. And it, it, it was a good reminder that you know, whatever's going on in different parts of the world, there is this really nice community that we have that involves both critics and other influential people. And they all, when they have the opportunity to, can have a good time together. And it just felt like we're not going to have a lot of good opportunities to do that in a, a relaxed environment once the insanity of fall starts up. So that was a nice excuse to, to get those people together. And, and um, you know, my hope is that we're going to do more stuff like that in the, in the weeks and months to come, not not you know an overbearing amount. I mean, I do have a day job, but I do think that the more people can associate these critics groups with something much bigger than, hey, maybe we influence the awards conversation, the better that people can recognize that you know critics have a role to play beyond all well, that stuff. Well, I, I think the simple way of describing what you've been talking about is that there's a community, and yeah. and uh, you're part of a very vital New York. Uh, community and and an important part of it. So um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I, I wasn't able to to join you. That's uh, okay because we'll be in Telluride soon enough, soon gas enough. for air and, and all that good stuff. So I'm sure next week we'll have some new updates on other festival news and, and other little things that are opening or maybe some crazy breaking news involving the Academy. Who knows what John Bailey might do next? But uh, until then, I guess we'll just have to roll with it and see what happens. So have a good weekend. Bye, Anne. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.